Welcome to Ag Future presented by Alltech. Join us from the 2022 Alltech One Conference as we explore opportunities within agri-food, business, and beyond. From brain development in puppies and kittens to staying sharp and maintaining cognitive function as senior pets, a healthy brain is key for a healthy pet. How do we help our pets build and maintain optimal brain health? I'm Tom Martin for the Alltech Ag Future podcast series, and I have those questions and a lot more for Dr. Jolie Jarbo, a veterinary neurologist and neurosurgeon based in central Kentucky and serving patients across the United States. Welcome, Dr. Jarbo. Thank you so much for having me. So we're here in Kentucky at the annual Alltech One Conference, and uh, I understand that this is your home state and that you are an Eastern Kentucky University graduate? I am. I had an animal science degree. Um, Let's see, 1987, I believe, a minor in, in biology. And you caught the veterinarian bug at an early age. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, some, some jobs are more profession. Uh, veterinary medicine was, was really a calling. Uh, there wasn't a time in my life I can recall not having a pet or not tending to strays or wounded animals outside dragging home. I, you know, my, my dad always jokes, I... I uh, nursed a litter of mice, you know, field mice I found in, in our utility room. So raised those up and then turned them loose in our barn. And he was like, you know, I'm putting out mouse bait and here you are raising them. <laughs> so, but I started to work for that when I was 11. Um, there was a general practitioner in my hometown who uh, just graduated, opened up a practice. And he had put himself through school or, or supplemented his income by raising canaries. So I ended up cleaning cages you know, for something like 110 canaries and, you know, we, you know, weaseled my way in and short, in short order was going on farm calls with him in the middle of the night, delivering baby pigs, you know, helping with, um, you know, calf exams and, and things like that because I had tiny hands at 11 uh-huh. and worked for him forever. And so it just, there just was no there. going back. Yeah, yeah. There was nothing I could have been, nothing else I could be, but this. Well, uh, turning to what you do, is brain development and health even on the radar of most pet owners and why should it? Why should it be? You know, I think there's a small percentage of people that are more aware of it. Uh, you know, the the pet owner or pet parent is becoming more and more educated, you know, through the Internet and Google searches and, and becoming more informed. I think it should be more on the radar, though. Um, as I said in my lecture earlier today, you know, um, the medical field, human medicine, veterinary medicine, we're taught to treat diseased states. I think that we need to have a, a revamping of, of our education system and trying to learn how to promote improved cellular function so that we prevent the disease state. You know, there's a lot of things that we can do early on in our core development from the time mom meets dad and you have fetal development to the weaning process to growth process in our animals that can delay neurodegeneration. It happens the minute we're born, we start to die. That's a gloom and doom mindset, but it's true. And if we can do things to be proactive and slowing down those neurodegenerative processes, decreasing just natural inflammation, will go a long way in promoting prolonged improved brain health and cognition. What are the the practical benefits of maintaining healthy cognitive function in our pets? Well, I think to have a, a happy, stimulated, engaged pet. You know, these uh, these pets are, in many instances, a, a spouse. You know, a, they, they're a spouse spot holder or a child to owners to the pet parent, and so I think to to get them engage to keep them engaged. I think uh, promoting brain health allows them to be the most interactive, have the best effect that they can. And so promoting play, you know, teaching, they, they, you know, we know owning pets, the pet owning population has less triglyceride and cholesterol 
and have less heart disease than non-pet owning people. So they help our health as well and help us be more rounded, balanced people. So I think, I think it's a, a yin and yang um, relationship. And what about downsides to that? What, what if we don't pay attention to our, our cats or our dogs' brain health? Well, I think you're just going to have someone taking up space. Uh-huh. You know, it, it, they're and not eating, eating food. Eating food, uh, just having a, a, a less of a fulfilled life. Uh-huh. What are some typical neurological issues that you encounter and treat? Uh, the cocker spaniel Casper, for yeah, example. Tell yeah. us about Casper. Well, Casper came to see me on a. We had a, a blizzard situation uh, at one of the hospitals that I worked at, and he came, and uh, it was kind of a race to try to to perform surgery on him for a ruptured disc. So he was paralyzed. So he needed surgery. Uh, the cannabinoids or or supplements that I uh, that I advocate a lot of, they help to promote mood uh, mood stabilizing effects. So when these animals that come to me for spinal cord injury, uh, whether it's in the neck or their back or they have nerve injury, most uh, a big portion of their rehabilitation is exercise restrictions. We've got to let the body heal and recover. And the minute they start feeling better, they're going to jump off the couch, fly off the stairs, and do something silly to re-injure themselves. So unfortunately, a lot of these pets aren't crate trained or aren't trained to be in a confined area. And so giving them something like a hemp supplement uh, helps to promote that mood stabilizing effect, helps them deal with those internal anxieties, help them be a little calmer between their ears, a little happier between their ears. They also are potent. The cannabinoids are also potent uh, pain modulating uh, systems. So they help affect decreasing pain in our body or our body's perception of it. So following a spinal surgery or inflammation with a disc rupture. Those things can be quite beneficial in addition to traditional anti-pain medicine and muscle relaxants. We can often use less of those with providing cannabinoid support. And how did you arrive at that? Probably, gosh, it's probably been about 15 years ago, uh, the general pet owning population were bringing these supplements to me. And like everyone else in the medical profession, I know more than anyone else. And I was very skeptical and poo-pooed this thing. But the great benefit, well, there's two things to touch upon. Being a a veterinary neurologist, neurosurgeon, you know, my pets, my my patients can't speak. So I'm basically a a very skilled voyeur. I have to be very good at at observational skills. So that's, that's number one of this equation. And number two, my patients don't have a placebo effect. So I can I can tell you, if an owner is giving a quality hemp oil or a quality supplement, regardless of what it is, say CoQ10, uh, B-complex, the L-carnitine, those kinds of things, I have an animal that I saw and examined that's doing X, Y, and Z. Owner gives a supplement, or maybe I'm recommending it, and we see it back in two to four weeks, and, the, and I see a difference in my hands in my exam room. There's, no, again, no placebo effect. It's, it's Animals are so true and pure. You know, that's the, mm-hmm. They may not be vocal by using words, but their body and how they move and interact is screaming to us if we're just quiet and listen and watch. So I think that that's, those are the two components. You know, my ability to observe, my, uh, being open-minded, and, and my pets showing me that, hey, these things are working. They're beneficial. We tend to consider our pets members of our families. And when they die, we grieve as though we lost a person. And we feel like we've lost a family member. How do you help people face end-of-life decisions for their pets? Yeah. You know, this. Uh, I have a different mindset, I think, than most of my peers. I, um, because I have been in veterinary medicine for so long— I have uh, 
you know, a keen sense, and I'll try not to get teary-eyed on this because I, I do feel so passionately about end-of-life decisions. And, you know, I talk to owners uh, a lot about this, whether you have any religious beliefs or not. You know, I, I think that these animals are the closest thing we have to divine presence on this world, and it is our job and our responsibility to be their stewards. And when we can't make them better, we can give them the most peaceful, dignified passing. I think that veterinary medicine is so much more humane. It might spark some controversy in this next statement, but I think we are so much more humane in those end-of-life decisions than we are for our fellow brother and sister. You know, I've got, uh, you know, several older, you know, aunts and uncles, friends that, you know, are going through some end-of-life diseases that are not having a quality of life and are having to suffer when they would want peace. But society is, we can't do that. I, I think that, you know, it, what I'm talking about, this end-of-life decision for incurable diseases, diseases that aren't responding to pain management, you know, the, the animal is not having an acceptable quality of life, is far different than an owner that's just tired of their pet. You know, mm-hmm. it's a far different situation, but I think we are uh, so much kinder in veterinary medicine on that aspect. And again, I, I hold that as a an honor uh, and it's a privilege. Well, um, personally, I'd have to say that some of the finest individuals I have ever met just happen to be dogs. <laughs> I have to believe, <laughs> I agree with you. Well, I have to imagine that just like human uh neurology, that veterinary neurology is very complex. What does it take to become a veterinary neurologist and a surgeon? Well, I always, uh, maybe a little uh, self-deprecating, I guess. I I, I think it mainly takes perseverance and showing up. You know, that's what I I try to tell my uh, young adult son, you know, going to college, show up. You know, show up and do the work. That's 95% of it. You know, just just make an effort. And I think... uh, the true aspect of what does it take to be a veterinary neurology, a neurologist or, or a veterinarian. A veterinarian is usually three to four years of undergrad, you know, some degree, prerequisites that have to be fulfilled. And then veterinary school itself, veterinary college, is, is usually a four-year track. There are some that are three. Uh, and then to be a specialist, you know, in veterinary medicine, a lot of people are unaware of that we have specialists just like humans. We have oncologists, we have dermatologists, we have internists, we have surgeons, we have neurologists. Um, so a lot of uh, veterinarians can go on to become specialized. And that training usually involves a one to two year uh, internship and then a, a three to four year residency. Um, so that's you're looking anywhere from 11 to 13 years of, of instruction and schooling. Are veterinary neurologists in demand? Yeah, they are. The specialists are in demand, thankfully. Um, There's about 400 of us in the world, uh, veterinary neurologists. So uh, I'm not, uh, uh, you know, I'm not worried about my my job. You know, I think I'm I'm very, and I'm in a unique situation, you know, having 25 years of experience. So I'm not straight out of a residency. I'm not, you know, I still got some more years until retirement and and a skill set that, you know, is, is, it's hard to hard to match, um, so I think that yes, well, we that we are in demand. There is a place for us. Usually, the, it it requires to have a specialist of a, a city population of about a million, uh, but but it's it's uh, yes, I'm in demand. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, I have a, a a personal pet owners question for you, but I'm sure that this is on behalf of legions of cat owners. <laughs> 
Can you help me persuade my cat, Millie, to stop waking me up before the crack of dawn? What is it with cats uh, and waking us up? You know what it is, and I'm going to give you a little hard time here, Tom. Okay. It is that, you know, cats need to be stimulated. You know, they, they uh, you know, that, that uh, Jackson Galaxy, he always says, hunt, catch, kill, and eat. And so it, it, it does revolve around that. If you stimulate these, these cats, you know, playing with them with the fishing pole toy, and, and cats have a short play duration. So it's like five to 10 minutes. So it doesn't mm. take much, much effort of yours, but especially playing with them probably, you know, early evening to right before you go to bed. Uh, I bet you, you're going to get a better sleep at night. I will remember that tonight. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Dr. Jolie Jarbo, a veterinary neurologist and neurosurgeon based in central Kentucky, serving patients across the USA. Thank you so much. Thank you, Tom. And for the Alltech Ag Future podcast, I'm Tom Martin. Thank you for joining us. Be sure to subscribe to Ag Future wherever you listen to podcasts.